Well, um, I, I'm assuming this is working. Um, because why wouldn't we assume that it was working? Uh, this is this, we're going to call this the, uh, the the special prologue uh, episode of the flip side. I don't even know if we're going to get a recording of this, quite frankly. But well, we're going to. I'm 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 at least recording audio of this, so we will have a full. Well, thank goodness for that. I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I hate to think that this momentous uh, you know element of broadcast history might not be recorded for pa- posterity's <laughs> sake. Um, let me tweet out this link. Um, I think I think that'll work. Let me. In fact, I'm gonna double check that real quick, just just so we just so we know. Um, let's see. Where did I just tweeted some? Yeah, look, yeah, it's yeah, definitely look at that. That's us. Hi. Yeah. All right. What's up? All right. Anyway, thanks for joining us, folks. Um, so we decided we wanted to do video, and uh, my Google Hangouts were working just fine, uh, but uh, my esteemed colleague. Brian here was having some problems, so we decided to switch to this uh, rather thrown-together uh, approach on OBS via YouTube. But uh, hey, you know, pushing back new boundaries, and uh, uh, Brian, I'm just happy to be talking to you on a stream that doesn't seem like it's being monitored by the Russian government. Yeah, right, yeah, right. You know, the the one nice thing we can say about Charter Internet is that they allowed me to double my internet speed for no cost. Yes. For no up- going going from two megabits per second to four megabits per second, <laughs> a big thing. That's we got makes- the, what we got is we got the second hamster in the wheel, and that really just all of a sudden things are streaming really really well. We needed that. We really did. So <laughs> uh, it's been a while. We we last podcasted in I think very early April, and uh, we had to take a break for work related purposes. I had not only the end of the semester, but also the beginning of the summer session. And that just ended for me on Friday. Awesome. Congratulations. Thank you. I feel very, very nice. Uh, You know, it's, I, it's always, I love teaching in summer. It's a very intense educational experience, which Mm -hmm. is great, but I also love it because it's short. And because, you know, I mean, it's a lot of work. You're teaching two and a half hours a day, but um, you know, you do you do that for four weeks, and you get a full semester's worth of money out of it. It's 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 nice, you know. That's not bad. So, yeah, uh, yeah. What are you? Uh, what have you been up to? So, um, I'm our sem- I'm teaching summer two. I'm in the third week of a six week sum- online summer course, and so teaching online is a really really cool experience. It's the third time I've done it. Second summer I've done it. It's interesting this semester because I'm teaching. I developed a data journalism class, which is cool. I'm loving nice. doing it. Um, I have exactly one student. Oh, they let you do. They let you do that. Yeah, is that some kind of that's some kind of SUNY thing? It's, where it's, I mean, <laughs> we normally have to have like twelve students, or they send us home. Normally they do, but in the summer course, especially in a because our summer courses are run through uh, a different department on campus. Like all online courses are run through a separate department, and they do it a prorated option for faculty. So if you have less than our version is eight, you can say no, or you can teach it, and they they adjust accordingly. Um, but no, it's good. So it's interesting teaching for one student, but she's awesome and really into it. And, um, and so, so it's fun. But other than that, you know, saw the Avet brothers last weekend. Um, my kid has a YouTube channel, you know, normal stuff that you do, um, on, on a summer break. So great. That's well, good. I'm glad. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's been a fun summer so far. I think I'm looking forward to getting some research done, hopefully here over the next month or two. Same here. And, uh, you know, but uh, I wish I'd known about the data journalism course. I think I did know about it, but I, 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 I've been meaning to, like, 
kind of audit one of those courses uh, to see what sorts of things I can incorporate into my own teaching. So um, what are you drinking tonight? So tonight, um, I'm very excited about this one. This is one of my favorite beers that I've had since we last recorded, and it's going to be one of my go-tos in the summer. It is the Orange Honey Cream Ale from the Genesee Brewhouse. Show it off. Nice. They're not a paid sponsor, though they should be. Um, it is a so it's the Jenny Brewery here in Rochester, well-known upstate brewery. And every year, seasonally now, they're putting out small batch craft, um, craft small craft batch. Some, yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> uh, much more kind of uh, artisanal type beers. And so the summers is the orange honey cream ale, kind of a play on the j- classic Jenny cream ale. And it's really, really good. Nice, subtle orange flavor. It's not overpowering. The honey makes it nice and smooth. It's kind of like in the past, I've been a big fan of the, the summer shandy, especially the, the, is it Leinenkugel? Is that how you pronounce it? I'm not from the middle. Kugel. Sure. Um, uh, and I've liked that. And this is a little bit more richer, flavorful version of that so good nice summer beer even though it's been like 60 here for the past week and it doesn't really feel like summer so uh what do you have tonight did i see a lacroix uh you well you saw the the dasani version oh, of the okay. <laughs> uh i i have a weight target to hit by the end of summer and okay. so I'm, I'm having to be judicious in my beer consumption um i did decide that uh, you know we're going to have a bit of a celebration Maybe tomorrow, but certainly Wednesday, because uh, Sweetwater Brewing Company is uh, invading the state of Indiana. They will be here finally on tap. I know Matt Blaska, who's in the comments right now. Hi, Matt. Hi, John Stalica. Um, Both of them commenting on what we've got so far. But uh, Matt's very excited about Sweetwater, uh, having spent a lot of time in Atlanta. I'm excited as well. I enjoy the beer very much. So I am saving my calories until I can uh, partake of that. And I'll have a full report coming up next week. As well, you should. I've had the sweet water, sweet water beers too, and they're outstanding. So very exciting that they are, that they are here. So it's been a banner year. I mean, we we got Sweetwater tomorrow, and then we had Yangling come in back in March. I you think guys it hadn't was. had Yangling. We had, we had not had Yangling. I mean, it'd been all over. It, right. You know, we could get it in Tennessee. You could get it, I think, in Ohio, but yep. it, it took this long for it to actually get uh, all the way out to Indiana. So, huh? Interesting. Yeah. So. So we have uh, we have so um, on our, we have a couple listener topics to get at. We have a, a story that um, I've been kind of not obsessed with, but really fascinated with in the past day that I kind of wanted to 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 spark to spark a discussion a little bit. And it's um, I'm sure you've seen it. I know you've seen it, but if listeners have seen it or heard it too, it's the uh, the the headline from. Uh, businessinsider.com millennials are killing chains like buffalo wild wings and applebees now there are many i I have so much to say on this it's so fascinating to me for one thing i i I, it's funny to find the the story i googled killing applebees um hang on first of all i want to see what the images are for this because this has got to be good um no it's just a lot of applebees food um so the top the top story and like the little box when you do a Google search says is from Business Insider, Millennials Endanger Casual Dining Restaurants. But then underneath that there are all the links to the Millennials are killing chains like Buffalo Wild Wings and Applebee's. And the 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 the, the difference in framing of the of with those two headlines is staggering to me. Um I mean so much to unpack on this story. For one thing, it's the you know, the latest in the line of the millennials have ruined blank. 
Um, right. I saw something on Twitter uh, this afternoon that somebody wrote a Twitter bot that that replaces millennials with young people today in a headline, <laughs> uh, which is great. So young people today are killing chains like Buffalo Wild Wings and Applebee's and stuff like that. But I just I love this because for one thing, I did see somebody else on Twitter say that Buffalo Wild Wings is actually doing pretty well financially so they're not on the uh they're not actually being killed but i also i also i i feel like this like that phrasing the killing millennials are killing chains like that is completely framed to put us on the side of applebee's and buffalo wild wings like right. we are supposed to be supporting them and, and dismissed and and dismayed by the fact that these pesky millennials are not going to them and I figure, it, it, assuming this is true, I mean, this has got to be the best thing millennials have done, right? Right. I mean, is there a way that we can thank millennials, like buy them gift baskets or something for killing off Applebee's? Yeah. Uh, I mean, who who do we send I, the uh, avocado toast to to thank them for this? I mean, this it the the amazing thing, as you mentioned. I mean, it is this tendency to to blame millennials for everything, every shift in business practice or in you know, certain sectors of the economy succeeding or failing, you know, you know, millennials are killing the car industry. Well, the car industry sucked. Right. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, the millennials are killing off, you know, chain restaurants. Well, I mean, have you been to an Applebee's in the last decade? For yes, God's sake. Wow. I, uh, well, I mean, I mean, outside of writing for your blog where you take your guy around and have him eat bad food. No, we actually, uh, my, 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 I'll, I'll, I'll let you finish, but I'll get back. No, I mean, I was saying it's like, you know, millennials are killing big box retail. No, the internet killed big box retail. Like, right. I mean, there's, it's, it is confounding, but this one in particular got me because I can't think of a soul who was lamenting the thought that Applebee's and, and Chili's and TGI Fridays might not be around forever. Right. I mean, you know, I, you and I are old enough to remember an era when those didn't exist, period. Mm -hmm. And they were, you know, they, were, they weren't good. I mean, but they weren't compared to what you would get if you wanted to go out to eat, which was either high-end restaurants or, like, Golden Corral or McDonald's. Mm -hmm. they, were, they were like an interesting midpoint that offered flavors that you probably wouldn't get anywhere else. Well, you can get those flavors now. And, and you know, the article pointed out like, oh, well, millennials use Blue Apron. I, I don't know a single millennial that actually utilizes Blue Apron. I guess I, I'm, I don't live in Manhattan, so maybe I'm <laughs> like excluded from knowing the types of people that use Blue Apron. But, you know, most people that I know that are within a decade of my age they go out to eat at local places or they, you know, I mean, most of them don't know how to cook, but there's some that do know how to cook and they actually take pride in cooking. I, I would say, you know, like tasty and, you know, those sorts of videos have probably done more to kill Applebee's and Buffalo Wild Wings than millennials have mm -hmm. because they're teaching people actually how to cook. And they're like, wow, I can make something that tastes just like Applebee's sliders at home and probably pay 30% of what I would have paid there. Yeah. I mean, I, we have been to, you know, with a six, now six and a half year old and a wife who is expanding, doing a lot of good work on expanding her palate, but it's still been, we, I've talked about it before, kind of an adult picky eater. Um, we, we, we're sometimes limited. I have a great great margaritaville story to tell before we sign off today oh boy um, and by great i mean ugh. anyway um yeah so i i've done my share of the chain restaurants and of the applebee's and you know they are fine for what they are you know they are not a great ex dining experience they are not you know the hot new food place but 
you know, when you're as if you're traveling or if you've been out, you know, there are worse places to go get a beer and a burger for twenty dollars than those places. It's not the best, but it's not the worst. And I can remember, like you, you, you said we were, like you said, we were old enough to remember when these places don't exist. And I remember when I was living in Olean, New York, when the Applebee's, the Applebee's in town first opened. And it's a big deal to have a place like that. And, you know, a different place to go to eat that wasn't the same couple local restaurants. Um, right. And it was a big deal. But, but yeah, the, uh, the, the, the kind of unspoken thing, not just the millennial thing, is that, like, these are beloved uh, so we so I'm reading the lead brands such as TGI Fridays, Ruby Tuesday, and Applebee's. Like these are some beloved brands that we adore and that have been like cultural lodestones to us, and we 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 love them and we cherish them. And these millennials with their I don't even know that's a word, but these millennials with a, with their with their avocado toast and their locally sourced boxed cuisine are are, are driving are, are driving them out of business. And and ah, I just. Uh, of all the things that we can be outraged about, uh, about what's changing in the world, the killing of, of Applebee's seems to be a pretty good one. Um, do, do you, you ha- think it's just do you think it's just that Gen Xers are upset that they bought franchises in these things and they've been demonstrated to be fools for doing so? And so they're just trying to, like, drum up faux outrage on it. Hmm, that's interesting. I think it's well, I think there's a certain level of, you know. Millennials are killing blank. Well, oh my God, that's going to get shared. That's going to get clicked. That's going to get people talking about it one way or the other. So I think there, I, I, I think there's, you know, and, and so here's okay. You, you're smarter than me. You're tenured. What is the age demographic of millennial? Because I know I'm like at the very, very, very tail end of Gen X, maybe just into Gen Y, because we're about the same age. So I'm like very much end of Gen X. Right. What is millennial? Like, what's the actual age demographic or years born of that? Do we have a definition of that? I mean, I, I've, I have generally seen it described as 1980 as the very beginning of millennial. That uh, seems old because that's 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 you know people are 30 in, in their late 30s now, and I and I feel like millennials are much younger in my mind. They're like 20. no, that, okay. it's just because you're getting older. <laughs> Fair no, point. seriously, I, th- yeah. I think it's just you're getting older, and so your perspective is that, oh, these people must be younger than me. Okay. Um, but no, I, I, it's, I think the heart of the millennials is probably people born between 1987 and 1994. I'll buy that, yeah. Uh, you know, I, and I think, because, I mean, honestly, like, people who are, like, my, my sister-in-law's age, my, my, my sister-in-law is, is 18, I would probably not classify her as a millennial. I think that she belongs to a, a following generation, which I, I've seen names for, but I think all the names for it is, are stupid. Right. Uh, it's not yeah, Generation Z or whatever. I, I think that's a dumb name. But yeah. uh, but I would say that the the concept of millennials, the youngest of them right now, is probably like you know like eighteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years old. Okay. I yeah okay that's a good definition but yeah the, the that's you know I it would be a great study or a great piece to go back and see all the headlines you know they'd be less because of the media environment but Gen X is killing the mall Gen X is killing the record store or something like that or something like that from 15 20 years ago and see how see how this this narrative repeats itself but just the notion that like 
Applebee's is this great thing that we should be bad that that we should be sad is is being killed off. Um, do you have a favorite of these chains of those like? I- well, I was always partial to TGI Fridays because they they threw me a party once. Just randomly? Uh, well, I mean, I went through a weird phase where I got business cards and, and decided, oh, I'll drop them in a bunch of like business card, like fishbowl sorts of things. Did you win one of those things? And I actually won a party nice. from TGI Friday. It was very off the wall. They did a nice job. I mean, they gave us drink tickets and they, they gave us a, a cake and some food and appetizers and uh, and I, I, I will say I liked their food flavors probably better than the others. And, you know, it's a relative sliding scale. Yeah, going back to what you said, you know, I worked when I was in radio in a town in, in Iowa where the best restaurant in town was an Applebee's. And so, you know, I, I'm loathe to, like, completely diss on them. I mean, when it's the best food that you can get, it's fine. It's just that. I think in a lot of places, like where I live in Bloomington, there's so many better options that right. you would be foolish if you didn't avail yourself of them. But if you're living in a place that doesn't have those options, like Lafayette, Indiana, where I grew up, where you know they had every chain in the world but very few local restaurants that you really wanted to go to, uh, you know that's a different reality. That's that's you. You know, it's not as big of a deal at that point. No, so. it, no, and, and I agree with that. I've always uh, lately I've been partial to Chili's. Um, I'm li- and lately and partial, are, of course, are relative terms. But um, but there, are, but I got on their email list, so I will often get a free kids meal coupon. So that makes okay. for a great, great you know night out with n- night out with my daughter. We'll go out and they have decent. I- I'm, I'm gonna say decent-ish Mexican food for what it is and for what you know expectations are set. Wait, where is this again? Chili's. The oh, Mex- Chili's. Yeah, yeah Chili's. Chili's used to be um, both both my favorite and Katie's favorite, but I kind of drifted away. From, I can't remember the last time I was at a Chili's. Probably about a decade ago. Yeah, it's not, and, and, and you know, for you know, okay ish Mexican food where my kid can also get something to eat that she won't complain about. I can ta- I can take it. So you mentioned Blue Apron, and as podcasters, I think we're one of the three podcasts remaining that are not actively sponsored by Blue Apron, um, and, and not actively looking to be sponsored by Blue Apron either. So, so, oh, do you do you have issues with Blue Apron, or just in ge- in general? I, I got to be honest. I don't want to you know have to stop and say, Brian. You know, it's really hard coming at home after a, a tough day's work to try to, you know, put a meal on the stove. You know, so I really rely on Blue Apron. It's great service. Everybody should try it. They send a box to your house. I mean, first of all, I'd be lying. Second, and second of, all, of all, you, well, second of all, you already read the ad spot, so we can just get our check right now. Yeah, Third. right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But uh, it's just they, I have nothing against Blue Apron. It sounds like an interesting service. Anyway, go on. No, I've, I, I was just curious what your thoughts were on that kind of meal delivery things. I was reading something else today. Um, I can't remember where I, I saw it on, on on my social media feed, but it was looking at like the the restaurant industry from the perspective of like like the hot food towns and like the local um, uh, kind of like artisanal uh, big food, great food movement, something like that. And they brought up one of the big challenges that now like the local restaurants, like the decent, like casual, niceish local restaurants are facing, are from places excuse me like blue apron where like people are learning to cook or getting spending money that they would go out to eat you know once or twice a week on a on blue apron and part of me always figures that that's um 
you know, you're always looking for the ex. There's always the external thing that un, that when something's a business is failing or an industry is is having trouble, there's always that boogeyman. And I feel like Blue Apron's becoming the boogeyman on it. I've looked at Blue Apron, um, and I don't know, like, given my family's eating setup, if that would be worthwhile investment. But it is an interesting concept of the food of getting the food, the, the portion food. Or you almost get it in a mise en place situation. And, right. and, and, and to cook it and, and, and to get people, you know, I, I, I think the interesting thing for me would be, does this get people hooked into the idea of cooking for themselves or is it just the Blue Apron thing? Like, are you going to then go to Wegmans or Safeway or whatever and get the ingredients yourself to cook or are you just going to rely on what they send you? That's a great question and I don't have a good answer because I don't know anybody that uses Blue Apron. We need to really find somebody and talk to them about this would be a great like you know if you instead of writing a blog called sports media guy you wrote uh, one called food media guy this would be an awesome blog post that would really help to uncover this issue but but since uh, i don't we're, kind of, I would, we're, we're oh, stuck here i would i would frank i would really hope that it's it's causing people to learn how to cook and realize that it's a not that hard and b not nearly as expensive Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so uh, Matt Blaska in chat said that he used it for a month and he uses the recipes. Okay, good. Uh, to cook. Yeah. So, so okay, well, that, that, that would tell us. So, so I do know somebody that yes. uses Blue Apron. I, I apologize to both Matt and to Blue Apron. <laughs> um, I, look, I'll say this. I think anything that – we have to understand, like, what is it about the restaurant industry that has made it so successful in the U.S. over time? It's a combination of, um, you know, the this the kind of – gender normative cooking ignorance that often uh, dominates the landscape for men mm-hmm. combined with the innate laziness of human beings. Uh, and the, you know, the idea for a long time, I think was that, you know, the secrets of being able to cook well were locked away in cookbooks that you didn't own and the ones that were mass produced generally didn't produce very good food. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, all you have to do is have somebody send you, you know, to Epicurious or to, uh, you know, one of those, uh, you know, any any of those sites, and you can actually produce really good food by yourself and realize that, you know, frankly, it's it's not that hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think that as the as the process continues i think that services like blue apron and just and you know what we we mentioned tasty and those the videos that we see it demystifies cooking it it, de- it democratizes it to a large degree and i think that that is a problem for the restaurant industry because what does the restaurant industry have to offer you know it, unless you're getting just a consistently great product all the time which frankly a lot of times you don't i i was just out the other day at uh, one of my favorite local establishments, the Tap. Still love the Tap. Go there all the time. But they've kind of ruined one of the things I loved on their menu the most, which was the the pulled pork barbecue pizza. Ooh. And this this used to be it was it was you know it was cheese, but they had a, like a mixture of of pork and like bacon bits and pickles, like chopped up pickles mm-hmm. uh, in a barbecue sauce base with a drizzle of ranch and barbecue sauce on top of it and it was really 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 top-notch now it's 
it's still got most of the same elements, but there don't seem to be any pickles, at least none that I could tell in the actual making of it. And they just like dollop a bunch of ranch all over the top of it, which I really don't like. That's a bad look for pizza. Right. And uh, I just it went from being like a solid A to maybe like a C C minus experience when I had it last week. And so, you know, if if people can figure out how to make their own stuff and they can get you know excellent beer you know at home mm-hmm. rather than spending a premium on it i think that's a real damaging thing for the restaurant industry that they don't have an easy way to counter yeah and i think the, i think the uh, you, you hit it you hit it and i think kind of adding to that is you have the level of restaurant where you know you're always going to have your the french laundries and the very upscale places for you know extravagant nights out big nights out absolutely those those will exist you're always going to have the fast food places i think it's those places both national chains and local places that are kind of in that middle ground of it's tuesday night do we want to make something or do you want to just go get go out and get something and, and go out and kind of that that more casual atmosphere which is which is um yeah i think i, I think it's troubling and um, and, and in terms of learning to cook, like my kid, she watched the last season of MasterChef Junior, and now she just wants to learn how to cook, which is kind of awesome. That's great. Um, yeah, and it's funny. I got her because um, she's a big Disney Disney Princess uh, fan. At the library, they had a Disney cookbook with, from The Princess and the Frog, so it's Tiana's cookbook. And like they have like legit, they have a beignet recipe in there, gumbo, red red beans and rice. You know some you know. Not just, you know, peanut butter sandwiches and cute shapes, you know, kind of legit stuff. And I was actually thinking about them. Like, if you don't really know how to cook or are trying to get better at cooking, there are worse things to do than to grab a kid's cookbook and start practicing on some of those stuff. You know, don't jump into the – I have the Bouchon Bakery Thomas Keller cookbook, which I love to read. But the three things I've tried to make out of there, it's just a calamity um, because that's that's like a professional level cookbook. But I do think that people who aren't great cooks or who don't love it, I think they can get intimidated by that and kind of kind of, uh, you know, think that, oh, I can't do this at a super high level. I can't do this like they do on TV. This isn't for me. And you're not making it for people on TV. You're making it for yourself. So. Right. So how was your gumbo tonight, by the way? It was really good. It was. It's one of the uh, the tried and true recipes that we have here in the Clavio household. Really simple to do, frankly. Uh, the the mo- the most complicated aspect is making the roux, mm-hmm. and once you've got the roux thing figured out, it's it's pretty much easy sailing. So what's what is your roux? It's. I mean, the roux is very simple. It's just a. It's a. It's a cup of all purpose flour and a cup of vegetable oil. Uh-huh. Uh, but what you the way that you have to make roux. For those of you who don't know, I mean, gumbo, most of the time you, the, the roux is the base of it. And, you know, what you have to do is you put the, the, the flour and the oil in a Dutch oven, like a, a, a bottom, a hard bottoms, you know, Dutch oven. You have to stir it constantly. And gradually it goes from the starting color, which is almost like a, you know, like a light caramel. You have to get it down to a color that's almost like close to coffee, mm-hmm. uh, like a really dark and what's what's happening basically is like the flour is like lightly burning uh, or lightly cooking as you're stirring it. And so there's like a really fine line between going too far and not going far enough. And gotcha. so there's that. I always, uh, for flavor purposes, I always, you know, grill chicken and sausage on the on the outer grill with some wood rather than just like you know, cooking them inside because there's just so much more flavor coming off the grill and that gets imparted in the gumbo. Um, sure. It's a long process. I mean, I started the process about probably 3.30, 
325 this afternoon, and I think it was done and ready to eat by 8. Okay. So, yeah. so we have some uh, quick hit uh, uh, guest topics. Yeah, we got our, we got listeners. about five minutes here. This is where we're uh, one oh, of the right. new aspects of our of the, of this uh, season's shows is that you know we've been inspired by the you know the the more quick hit web stuff. We you know we want to be less Game of Thrones and more tasty. Sure. So okay, I think all right that makes sense. No, this could be good. It could be a good way to handle uh, listener questions. Is rapid fire? Okay. So we, uh, Mike Narain, uh, who's on a plane apparently, or coming, or landing on a plane, or somehow flying today. He had two questions. First one: best academic conference sites, North America and worldwide. I've never been best. to one outside of outside of the U.S., so I'll let you probably handle that one first. I, mean, I, I haven't been to very many outside of the U.S. I think with you know any good conference site has to have a lot of things to do in close proximity to where the conference is being held and also options if you wanted to go uh, further afield Mm -hmm. from there Um, you know and and I've I've certainly not been to very many conferences where that was a thing Uh, I did enjoy Wellington New Zealand as a conference host site quite a bit I thought that was a very good one Uh, of the cities that I've been to that uh, that didn't have a conference to host I don't know. Um, I think Munich would be a fascinating place to have a conference. There, mm-hmm. there would be so much to do, uh, you know, in the in the kind of the city center areas, and there's also stuff to do outside of it with, within relatively short distance. And what about in North America? In North America, I would say I think my favorite conference location in North America has probably been Seattle. Just because everything was within walking distance, the hills sucked. I, I'm not going to lie; the hills <laughs> were difficult. Uh, and you don't think of Seattle as a hilly city, but yeah. uh, but it is. But uh, but I mean, everything was really accessible. They had they had sporting events going on all the time because they've got you know four you know five really four no four major uh, league teams there, um, and it was just kind of a it was a neat experience. Uh, I'd never been to the Pacific Northwest before up to that point, so it was it was unique from that perspective. So that would probably be my vote. Yeah, I had a good I, I liked Chicago. It was AEJMC was in Chicago a few years ago and it's back there this summer. That was a good town for it. I like Washington too because it's a it can turn into a family trip and my family can come with me and there's a lot to do. I tend to like conferences that are um uh like like Bradley like there's it's really the only game in town only because that kind of forces the entire conference to be together right you hang out with each other the whole time because my controversial opinion would be I think New York is a terrible conference city because there's so much to do and there's so much going on that I can feel like the conference that, that it can be easy to either get lost or people go do their own thing much more and it's just a little too too much going on to to have a good time at the conference. So that would be my hot take on my conference hot take. I still like Manhattan. I'm sorry. I, oh, I'm, that, not, I, I'm not going to say I, no to a conference in New York. I, it's a train ride for me, but it's still, um, I, 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 I don't necessarily think it's a great, great, like all time conference destination. I got to be honest with you though. I don't want to hang out generally with the whole conference. I want to hang out with like a smaller group of people that I like from the conference. That's and fair. there's something to be said, uh, you know, for being in a place where you don't all have to go together uh, or be in the same spot. Uh, I mean, point. I was at that Bradley conference. Speaking of Applebee's, I think that might have been the only restaurant within walking distance of the I hotel. Forget where we went that night. The whole bunch of us went. I forget. It was, yeah. it was someplace like that. So, all right, moving on. So, is Tom Crean going to OSU? No. 
Okay. No, I don't. <laughs> but it would be hilarious if he did. Well, what's funny about that, the, the Thad Mata, knew, for those who didn't see, Thad Mata, uh, I don't know if it's a firing or a resignation, but he's no longer the coach at Ohio State, which is a, it's a sad story. Dude's not even 50 years old. His yeah. body has basically broken down on him. But, um, you know, there was a list that was put out by um, by oh, what's that? Uh, by Matt Norlander from CBS about coaching candidates, and he had Tom Crean listed. And normally, you wouldn't pay that much mind, but Tom Crean did just put his house up for sale. Oh, did he? Here in Bloomington, like two mm. weeks ago. So you're like, well, what does that mean? And but no, right. that, there's, I would be. I would be shocked beyond everything if Crean even got an interview, let alone right. was given that job. Especially, so. at the, especially at this time of the time in time of the year too. Like they're probably you would think they would move to a, a top assistant or somebody very close well, to the program. I would say I would actually say though that this time of year, that would be the one argument in favor of getting a Tom Crean because where else are you going to get somebody a that- coach with Big Ten experience that's actively looking? I mean, dude was on Pardon My Take last week i don't right. know if you heard that but you know i mean like he's 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 actively looking for things to do it sounds like at this point that would be the greatest troll move in the history of troll moves that'd be fantastic so mike also wanted to ask about the nhl and the asian problem um i believe this includes um not being in the olympics and there was something else i i, I wasn't follow i didn't follow the questions i, I just so didn't write down write it down in my notes so i don't know if you want to i take think on this. i think what he's referring to is the fact that you know the basically there's no there's no olympic hockey or for for the nhl Mm -hmm. i mean you know because they're they're just not participating in the 18 olympics and they're not participating i guess in the 22 olympics except as an exhibition uh i don't know the full story but i think the idea is how do you continue to grow the game in in such an important area if you're not showcasing it in the Olympics? And my answer to that is, I I, I don't know. I mean, certainly the Olympics matter. I don't know if that's going to make that big of a difference in the big scheme of things in terms of the popularity of the sport in that area. But I need to look more into it before I comment further. Yeah, can I just say one of the things that drives me nuts, and it's an ESPN thing, the the whole. When, when the conference finals, when the Stanley Cup finals were set, like, is this good for hockey or bad for hockey? I hate that that question so much. And not, not not germane to this this particular finals, but the the kind of okay, Nash, it's Nashville versus Pittsburgh. Is this good for the league or is this bad for the league? It's it doesn't matter. It, it is what it is for the league. It's it just. They, they say this for – this is something like – it comes up with soccer. It comes up with kind of any sport that's kind of just below um, like the, 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 the NFL baseball level. Or even in baseball, you see that too. And I don't know. I just I, – I, I find that, that, that debate tiresome. I find that question kind of tiresome, um, you know, especially with this year because it kind of trades in the stereotype that Nashville is a, would be a terrible near U.S. Southern hockey town. What do they know about hockey when it's actually – apparently a pretty good hockey town and a really good fan base on it. I don't know. Just that, 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 that not on this, this Olympic question, that's a bigger stage, but just on the general, the whole, is this good for the game or is this bad for the game? You know, is it, is it good for the NBA that it's the Cavs and the, and the Warriors? Well, probably, but what does that mean for the rest of the season that we sat through and the way the series is going? It's not. So I think ultimately, did we talk about this in our last podcast before we broke up for the for season four or not? I don't remember if we did, but the NHL and it's mostly the NHL's fans 
in fact, I would say entirely the NHL's fans, have been obsessed with this idea that there's going to be some kind of breakthrough moment. Right. Of, you know, oh, this this is going to happen. That's going to cause hockey to suddenly get as popular as the NBA or as Major League Baseball. And, you know, they've been lighting pictures of Gary Bettman on fire for 30 years because, <laughs> you know, he, he screwed up with the Cablevision deal. And then he screwed up with, you know, taking away the division names, and then he screwed up with overexpansion, and then he screwed up with this and that. And it's like all these things have been blamed on hockey not leaping to some kind of overwhelming success. And I think ultimately at the end of the day, I just think hockey's got a ceiling in mm-hmm. terms of the popularity. And certainly in, in some areas, it can it can rise up from, you know, a lower level. I mean, I think we're seeing that right now in this series. I mean, we're, you know, watching what's happening in Nashville and the way that people are interacting with this team. Uh, you know, it's it's been fascinating to see. We've seen it in Columbus this past year with the way that people reacted to the Blue Jackets. Right. Um, but this whole mentality of is this good or not good for the, the NHL, it's just it's a hallmark of a very insecure league. You see it in MLS yep. just, just as often as you see it in hockey. But I think in hockey it's more acute because hockey at some point needs to just accept what it is, mm-hmm. and and that's a, you know a, a fun sport that's got a great postseason that's just not cared about by you know probably seventy five percent of the population, and that's about all that they're ever going to get to, and that's okay. Yeah. I mean, it's there's, there's nothing wrong with that, but the idea that you got to somehow, you know, I mean, the fact that we had what the Rangers versus the Kings, you know, the two largest markets in the uh, in the United States. Mm-hmm. You know, we had the Blackhawks versus the Bruins. We had, I mean, we had all these great playoff series, and we're still asking, "Oh, is this good for the league or bad for the league?" Should right. tell you how much that really matters. Right, exactly. Um, all right, we have Jay Horry. Is uh, the best show on TV, and is this the best era of TV? Um, I'll go first on this one. For me, best show on TV is Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. It's on CW. It's a musical comedy show. It is incredibly funny. It's wickedly smart. Uh, the performances on it are great. Um, I think it's, to me, I, mean, I don't watch a lot of kind of the critical darling type TV, but that's, to me, for me, is the best show that, that's on TV. Um, what about you? Best show on TV right now? Uh, dude, you know, I, I, I'm I know. very behind on watching TV. Um, so I, I can't even really register a good a good comment on this i just i can't i i want to catch up on tv but then i also want to catch up on all the video games i bought in the last year and haven't played and so that's um what i i see people freaking out about shows and i'm fascinated like i'm i'm curious about stranger things i'm curious about the leftovers i'm curious about um you know all these shows that people are going nuts over i will address the larger point uh, Jay's point, which is, yes, this is the best era, I think, in television history because television has the the the, the shackles taken off of it finally in terms of, you know, the not just not just the financial shackles and, you know, but the creative shackles, I think, is the bigger thing. Mm-hmm. And this idea and, and it's I think a lot of it is it's not so much that TV's doing great. It's that movies are doing so badly oh, in yeah. the creative department that it, it now creates a situation where if you're a creative person, you want to go 
to television because mm-hmm. you can you can do a huge story arc that's original and unique with 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 cool ideas that aren't necessarily formulaic and you just can't do that in movies anymore. I I, I, I will agree with that and also. Uh, just you know the number of outlets that that TV shows have, the number of formats they can have, and just the diversity that that um, that that enables um, in terms of the shows that are available. I use this example all, all the time in my classes. You know, would Orange Is the New Black exist in 1995 in any format on TV? No way. Um, but now it does, and now it has a home and can be watched. So I think that yeah. that, that that's huge too. All right, last to- topic. This is a Matt Blaska special. <laughs> the breakdown: the Rex Rex Rob Ryan bar fight in Nashville the other day. I saw this. Was this fr- was this was Friday night? If I if I remember correctly, um, it was sometime over the weekend. Okay, yes, I think I saw this when I was leaving the Avett Brothers concert or a concert, and it was just like the most like Rex and Rob Ryan involved in a bar fight in Nashville. I think my, my audible at a, reaction... at a Margaritaville. <laughs> oh, is that a Margaritaville? Oh, it was at a Margaritaville. It wasn't even at one of the bars. It was like it was it was at a, it was at a chain restaurant. So okay, my Margaritaville story really quick. So my okay. wife has been eating better. And trying to eat, eat eat healthier and eat better, and she's doing a fantastic job of it. And uh, we had a, a date night, and uh, we were going to see Mike Birbiglia, the only stand-up comic we like. Um, he's our favorite, but he's really the only one we like. And he was playing at a comedy club at the mall in Syracuse at Destiny USA. And so we were looking for a place to go out to eat before the show. And the the, the salad that she really likes to eat, that's kind of kind of central to what she's doing is spinach, strawberry, feta, usually some grilled chicken on top. Basic salad, one she really likes. Only place she could find that that would that had that on the menu anywhere near Syracuse was the Margaritaville, which is right across from the comedy club. Right. Okay, what the hell? I'll give it a throw. We go there. It was empty. There was a waitress walking around on stilts. Like actual like 10 feet above the ground stilts. Our waitress comes to us and she was talking to us in this really like weirdly low key voice like, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Enjoying the night out? And I didn't know if she was trying to be like a Margaritaville character doing a bit or if she was just really antisocial and uncomfortable around people. Um, And I also got a wonderfully preformed burger and frozen french fries. Um, Wow. I scarfed it. It wasn't bad, but it was just – it was – it was weird because it's like a very empty – it was very big space and very empty and you feel like – I don't know. You, you, you think Margaritaville. You, it, it was very sad and weird. But it was the second weirdest thing to happen in a Margaritaville because apparently Rex and Rob Ryan got into bar fights there. I wouldn't say – I wouldn't say the Ryans getting into a bar fight anywhere is weird. No, I would point. say it was probably the second most expected thing in Margaritaville <laughs> behind yeah. – of poorly foreign burgers and frozen french fries and the, uh, the weirdest thing was the music it was like hip-hop music i thought it was going to be all like jimmy buffett maybe jack johnson if they were trying to trend cool right cool no maybe. it was like it was like you know your top 40 hits it was really an odd experience all everybody around. everybody has to sell out eventually i think <laughs> that's the message here but uh Anyway, I think that'll that'll wrap it up for us yes. on this episode. Uh, thank you all for for watching and listening. Thanks to John and and Matt, and we also had Brian Krosky uh, check in and and uh, leave a comment. We appreciate all of that. Hopefully, we'll be a little more organized next time probably and not. be able probably yeah, not. Probably. But, but you know, we can dare to dream. So, hey, you know, I mean, uh, yeah. So, 
If you've got comments or questions uh, at Flipside, you can also hit us up individually at Dr. GC at BP Moritz. My dog is destroying the couch across the uh, the, the living room from me here, so I better go attend to that. Uh, Brian, thank you as always, and uh, for you folks, take care. We will uh, we will catch you on the flip side. So long. See it.